am your head counselor. And this is my wake-up show. I'll be coming at you every morning. About this time, hoping to make your summer camp experience the best available in this price range. Well, that's life in the fast-paced, slam-bang, live-on-the-razor's-edge, laugh-in-the-face-of-death world of junior league soccer. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP podcast from the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'll be your camp counselor, Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And we've watched another movie. Yes. So here we are in the middle of, of July. It's the height of the summer. And that's going to make a lot of people think of summer camp. We never sent you to summer camp, did we, Ian? No, but I went to band camp a lot. I guess that kind of counts. Sorry, I'm was having. <laughs> I, sorry, my silence is not intending to be bad audio uh, quality. It's me having little flashbacks here. <laughs> like there's a little montage going in front of my eyes of the crazy stuff I saw people do during those. That was like uh, summer practices for your uh, high school band, right? Yes, that was marching band summer practices <laughs> and. I'm the sort of kid where I brought a laptop and a N64 emulator and a set of USB PlayStation controllers, and I ran a Smash Brothers tournament late at night one night in the, <laughs> in the rooms. So I don't know if I was like a help or a hindrance, but that tells you a lot about me very quickly. And um, And I never went to summer camp either. So... Whatever memories I have from summer camp come from movies. Okay. Any memories I have of this as a concept. And, and the movie that's probably most responsible for those is the movie that we watched this week, which is Meatballs, starring Bill Murray. It's another Bill Murray film. The, yeah, another Bill Murray movie from, uh, from 1979, directed by Ivan Reitman, who went on to direct Stripes and Ghostbusters and, and other movies. The last time I heard Bill repeated this many times, it was followed by Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> we keep bringing Bill Murray up instead. We do. We do. And this was his first feature film, or at least the first feature film in which he starred. Oh, this was his first? So this is credited by many as launching his film career, if only in, in time. And he was in some other movies, but he didn't have a starring role prior to this, uh, as far as I know. Okay. I would say that any memories I have or any concept I have of summer camp come from this movie, maybe also from the 1961 Haley Mills version of The Parent Trap, and that's about it. That's not a lot to go on. <laughs> no, it's not. Did, was, this a, was this a seed in theaters, or was this another one of your strange uh, journeys into movies on TV? It was somewhere in the middle. I don't think I saw this in a theater. But I saw it on a Saturday afternoon or evening on HBO some months later. It wasn't part of the weird dreamlike midnight HBO film fest I've described in the past. <laughs> that liminal space <laughs> in which you in ingested a large amounts of the media that is built to this podcast. There are some other movies in that series that, uh, that we'll be talking about eventually, but this was more mundane. Okay. In many ways. <sighs> I, I'm... I'm Usually we take our time getting into the plot of this 
sort of movie. This is one of those. <laughs> I'm just going to say something very wild. I'm amazed that this movie makes it through its entire running time without ever resorting to a save the camp trope. That's true. It never is a save the camp trope. Right. You hear a movie about a summer camp, you see this sort of setup where it's giving you this quirky cast of characters, and you really expect nowadays, and possibly around this time as well, I'm not as certain how established it had become, but there's this, oh, you know, save the camp, save the, the rec center. There's always the the incoming threat that will destroy this place and the quirks of this place will be both its early hindrance and its later salvation. <laughs> and that is a through line. I mean, I don't like calling it lazy writing. I've seen wonderful ones, but it is a tried and true story structure that things have been applied to so many times. The fact that I was waiting for that to show up and about two-thirds away through this movie, I realized it's never gonna do it. <laughs> Was actually surprising to me. When you said we well, don't usually dive into the the plot right away, I thought you were being really generous by using the term plot when it came to this movie. I really I think you really need to make a pretty um difficult argument to say that this movie as an overall movie has much of a plot. It's not. It's really a series of vignettes. Yes, absolutely. That it makes a lot of sense that this has people. This is a movie made by people who are in that SNL stand-up comedy kind of environment, where it is that small. You've got a joke. You run that joke in its scene. You move on to the next thing. If you're really feeling cinematic. You might do callback jokes by repeating the same setup with different punchline or the same punchline with different setup a couple of times at different points. Yeah, it does seem like there are two different kinds of, of bits in this movie. There are, are scenes or sections that are kind of clumsily put together to get to a pre-written joke just as a joke. And then other scenes that seem to be set up as excuses for improv. And those are usually the ones where Bill Murray is playing off another character or playing off the camp as a whole. Yeah, because he's, he's playing the morning radio announcer. Yeah, he's, I guess we can give the overall setup, even though it's not much of a plot. It's, uh, it takes place at, I don't even remember the name of the camp. That says so much. Camp North Star. Yeah, that is pretty generic. Yeah. It takes place at Camp North Star, a sleepaway camp on a lake in uh, in Ontario. And Bill Murray plays Tripper Harrison, and Trip is the 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 senior counselor. So he is managing all of the counselors in training, which are kind of kids in their late teens learning how to be camp counselors. And all of them, of course, are counseling and managing things for the the little kids who range from like six to thirteen or, or or fourteen, it seems. Yeah, and and yeah, as the senior counselor, he gets to do the the morning and uh, and informational announcements to the camp, which are the the funniest bits in the whole movie, I think. His announcements are the best things. Attention, here's an update on tonight's dinner. It was veal. I repeat, veal. 
The winner of tonight's Mystery Meat Contest is Jeffrey Corbin, who guessed some kind of beef. Congratulations, Jeffrey. You just won a brand new Chrysler Cordoba, and you can pick it up at Morty's office. And he also has to teach the counselors in training, and he's being a very prototypical Bill Murray character, so he's not the best influence, and yet he has a certain wisdom. (sighs) Yeah. And to the extent that there is a plot, it is kind of a sports-related plot, but it is really a character plot. Welcome to the slowest montage. (laughs) Because we get the... our, Our character of Rudy, who is this young boy, is feeling unhappy and tries to run away from camp. And Rudy, played by an actor who is not new to the Intermillennium Media Project. Rudy, 12-year-old Rudy, is played by Chris Makepeace. Oh. Who we have seen previously for the Intermillennium Media Project in the masterpiece Mazes and Monsters. Oh, goodness. He was in a lot of good stuff for that. Was he the one whose room kept getting redesigned? Yes, his mom was an interior designer, and he was the 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 GM for their first LARP in the caves. Oh my goodness! What do you do in the off season? Go to school. I think I like history the most. It's fun to imagine that I'm in some other time, a different place. Shut up and look at your cards. This is probably not the last time we, we see Chris Makepeace either. But uh, but yeah, he's he's 12 years old and he's playing this kind of misfit, not really good at meeting and, and socializing with the other campers, a kid named Rudy. If it wasn't for the name that's too close to the other character he played, let's be a little honest. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think his character in Mazes and Monsters was kind of the, the super overconfident nerd. I guess Versus the very withdrawn and can't talk to people nerd. Yeah. Hmm. I could see a through line, but I get you. Oh, yeah. he Definitely, Rudy could have grown up into whatever his Mazes and Monsters character was. Okay, yeah. But Rudy kind of becomes Tripper's protege. And we wind up with the slowest montage, as I'm calling it, as we keep getting bits of... Tripper kind of boosting Rudy's confidence and them going on increasingly long jogs. <laughs> yeah, Rudy's the cat in many ways. Yeah. Tripper, he seems like he cares about nothing but himself and having a good time and being funny and impressing people with his humor and his wit and his his, his individuality. But the fact that he recognizes that Rudy needs somebody and and that Tripper goes out of his way to be the person Rudy can talk to and encourages him to join him on morning jogs and all that. And in case you didn't think Tripper was, in fact, a Bill Murray character, every once in a while, he will pull out really unexpected, deep philosophical quotes. You make one good friend a summer, and you're doing pretty well. Because (laughs) it is just Bill Murray. Yep. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of character layer on top of the actor in this sense. And how much of that was improv? How much of that was uh, uh, was written? I don't know. Probably the, the 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 plot driving dialogue to the extent we had any was written. Harold Ramis, by the way, one of the uh, the screenwriting credits on this, oh. also known from Ghostbusters. Yeah. I, I now that you say that, I can kind of 
see what you're talking about or like i can i can hear that in the yeah. the tone he was definitely part of that bill murray harold ramis ivan reitman movie making group even in movies like this where he did not appear as an actor it's got that same sort of tone it's got that same sort of tilt to its worldview yep it's like a dutch angle of narrative <laughs> But mainly, like we've said, this movie exists to set up and knock down jokes. Uh, running jokes I can think of. The head of the camp being removed from his bedroom and having his entire bed and nightstand, that's kind of nice, set up in weird and unexpected locations. And um, the, the, the camp owner or the camp head, uh, he's named Morty. Everybody calls him Mickey. Another running joke. Yes. One of the problems i have with this movie is i was never quite sure who this was supposed to be for is this supposed to be for 12 year olds because of all the weird slapstick and things is it supposed to be for 16 17 year olds because of all the raunchy humor is it supposed to be for kids i guess i was saying the 12 year olds the kids who are young enough to really uh, identify with rudy or the twenty-year-olds who are going to identify with a tripper. I don't yeah, know. It's, Maybe it's it, it's for everybody it, or equally. Or yeah, it, it kind of simultaneously pulls the uh, kids one up the adults who ha are no fun, and pulls the look at these kids so naive, unaware of what uh, of and 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 unprepared for the fact that life will not always be easy for them. And it's like you can't do both without being very odd. Because the kids are kind of depicted as bizarre and at times monstrous, I must say. The chanting for things about gossip which just seems to be a chance to humiliate other people and the amount of dangerous slapstick and some of the the crassness of the jokes seems low, but there's also this through line of like enjoy this while we can because it's not always easy out there, which is just weird. Yeah, the there's not a lot of nuance in this movie. I think it's safe to say the closest we have to carefully and thoughtfully put together characters, maybe Trip and Rudy. Maybe Roxanne, who's Tripper's kind of girlfriend, played by Kate Lynch. And that's probably it. Everybody else is a very broad caricature. I mean, we've got and and there were a lot of a lot of jokes in this and a lot of characterizations in this that probably as with a lot of comedies from nineteen seventy five today, they get just a, a shake of the head from me. Mm, with yeah. we've got one of the counselors in training whose name is whose nickname is Spaz. And he's just a a stick figure caricature of oh this is a nerdy kid who can't talk to girls, and his it's his just, buddy is the the fat kid named Larry, and of course there's all the fat jokes, excessive and, fat jokes, and we get jokes about the the fourteen year old girl's cabin being the jailbait cabin, and it's like you know, that's not yeah, yeah we don't need that and stop it and let's top this all off with a coding of. Their rival camp across the pond, the rich kids camp, Camp Mohawk, <laughs> who just feels disturbingly racist 
Yes. Repeatedly? And that's the thing. These are supposed to be the bad guys. But in 1979, I don't know if the fact that their camp was called Camp Mohawk or that their cheerleaders' outfits were caricatures of Indian, American, Native American outfits, and they had all these tomahawk aspects to their cheerleading routine— I don't know if all of that was supposed to in any way be part of the signifier that they're bad guys. I think that was just, well, they're rich enough to have uniforms. But it doubles down on them (laughs) now in a weird way. They've gotten more bad guy over time as we've realized how much more problems there were in there since this film's creation. But it's the camp where they're all rich. There's all these equestrian sports and... They pull up uh, to the eating competition in a limo. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and they there's all the talk about the food that's served at their uh, at their camp and all the services they get and all of this. Their punchline. It's become. It seems to me that it has become a trope, just a, a, a shorthand in popular culture about you know the rich kids' camp on the other side of the lake. I don't know if that comes from Meatballs or Meatballs was playing on that. As far as I know. I, it always brings me back to meatballs, that idea of, yeah, well, we're here, but, you know, you know what they have at the rich kids camp on the other side of the lake, or we have to beat the rich kids camp from the other side of the lake. And the it, rich kid- It's less the grass is always greener and more the grass always has more money. <laughs> yes. And there's there are sports competitions between the two camps. And of course, the rich kids from Camp Mohawk have the best training and their basketball players look like they're 25 years old and they're- have you know, eight inches in height on any of the Camp North Star kids. And yet, even though they, they absolutely dominate Camp North Star athletically, they're still cheating constantly and obviously and, and, and violently. And it's like nothing redeeming about Camp Mohawk. If everybody in, if, if most of the characters in Camp North Star are caricatures, it's 10 times as much for for Camp Mohawk. They exist yeah. only to be a nemesis, which for a movie this broadly drawn, fine. That works. Yeah. Absolutely works. That's what they're there for. Wild, That's- wild, vaguely three-dimensional characters versus cardboard cutouts is a fight, I guess. <laughs> and it does make certain aspects of Camp North Star more sympathetic. And as much conflict as, as there is within Camp North Star... The fact that they have Camp Mohawk as their nemesis brings them together and you can see them as a community more and more. So in terms of structuring a story, Camp Mohawk does a great job at what they're supposed to do. Oh, yeah. The fact that when Mohawk showed up, at least I knew all of Camp Northstar would be somehow vaguely united instead of what happens when they're not showing up, which is the male counselors or trying to sneak into the girls counselor's dorm and listen in through the floorboards and awkward disturbing stuff like that yeah and it's it's an example of what we see farther along in the 80s the the crass i don't know what it called them i because of the way they're advertised i tend to think of them as peeping tom movies i don't think we'll watch any more of them in uh, in the podcast because i Thank haven't goodness. seen any others but i'm thinking things like porkies and such there's some of that kind of yeah. Of stuff in here. But that's not the focus of this movie. It's more like it's in there because the people who made the movie 
assume that people expect it. It all, almost seems like it's forced. It it feels like one of the investors said, well, you're making one of these films, right? I'll give you a camera to make that. And they said, oh, yeah, we can put some scenes like that in the movie. <laughs> we could really use the camera. <laughs> yeah, when you say investors, I'm thinking of somebody who says, yeah, I, what, what do I have on me here? Take what's in my wallet, go make a movie. Because this was not a very high-budget movie. No. But it didn't have to be. It, it had, had everything it needed to. It did. And one of the things that makes me wonder, what tone was this movie trying to reach, what trying to achieve, is the music that we hear throughout. Because it's, it's several times we get a, one or another kind of sappy pop folk song. And also the, the the shouting kids chorus with the trademark tune, Are You Ready for the Summer? Are you ready for the summer? Which feels very, very out of tone. Yeah, that's the thing that makes me sound like it's for kids barely old enough to watch Nickelodeon. And... And yet, Are You Ready for the Summer is a song for a Save the Camp film. And they never actually then have a Save the Camp <laughs> story for that song. Because the song is all talking about how you don't have to worry about school, how you don't have to deal with books and teachers anymore. It's cheering the escapism a camp is giving you. And then the camp will just always be and will always be awkward is the only comparison back you get. You're, you're right. It, it seems to be more focused than the movie is. There, this is a wild comparison, but there's something a little Alice in Wonderland about this film. I'm listening. Where I guess Bill Murray as our tripper, the White Rabbit, kind of guides you into a strange place that keeps switching modes and doesn't quite match. You keep on running into a variety of small vignettes with individual highly quirky and odd characters who have a chance of popping up later or never being seen again. And then when it ends, you just leave and go back to your life and have to deal with the visions you've seen. I like that. I like that. I might argue that Tripper has too much manic agency to be the White Rabbit. He's a, a Mad Hatter or Cheshire Cat kind of character. He is a little bit more Cheshire Cat. But this being a Wonderland kind of environment, it is separate from the uh, the real world. And it Different can rules apply. And it can just spiral off into a tonally dissonant little side story and then come back to whatever it is whatever it's telling you is a narrative and it might not be <laughs> <laughs> the real the real save the cat moment between tripper and rudy are when rudy decides to leave and he gets his suitcase and he hikes to the bus station and and is going to try to go back home and tripper finds him at the bus station having followed him and kind of knowing what's going on and they have this weird conversation in which tripper manages to make rudy laugh while at the same time conveying that he really does understand how rudy's feeling and 
wants Rudy to to give him a chance, to give Tripper a chance to make this a better experience for you. And during that a heartwarming and honestly kind of unlip- uplifting speech, he still finds ways to be awkward and unpleasant, I admit. <laughs> yes, he does. I'll get him. I'll get him with this Swiss Army knife. The Swiss trained me to kill and I will do it. So that's kind of the, you're right, he's trying to escape the strange world and go back to his normal world, but he can't. And the the guide character is there to, to explain why he can't and why he shouldn't yet. He's kind of explaining why the the world you're going to is as weird as this place is, <laughs> but at least this one is limited in scope. And that kind of makes me think more about your, your very good point about that this is a, a movie that you would expect to have a save the camp plot and doesn't. In some ways, it chooses in this one way to be more subtle than that, more nuanced than that, in that it doesn't have a a save the camp moment. It does kind of have a save our self-respect, save yeah. our, our dignity and our perspective, because, of course, there's the big Olympiad of sports that wraps up the, the summer, and it, between Mohawk and Camp North Star— Oh, is and, this the is this the it doesn't matter chance? Yes, a North Star is being is is being trounced, but it's not totally out of the running after the first day of the two days. And the the inspirational speech that Tripper gives is about the fact that ultimately his message is it just doesn't matter. Even if we win, they still have all the money. They'll still get all the girls. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> It gets weirdly terrifying when the chant doesn't stop. (laughs) But everybody goes from being totally depressed to smiling and clapping as they chant. It just doesn't matter. Optimistic nihilism, optimistic nihilism, (laughs) optimistic nihilism. What? And and yet there's an importance in life in getting to choose what matters. He's giving them, he's letting them know that... You don't have to regard this as being important just because it's supposed to be important. Who wins the camps, the inter-camp sporting event? I, I'm giving it a hard time here, but one of my favorite shows of all time has a version of that in its opening theme song. Because Mystery Science Theater, at the start of every episode, will tell you, if you're wondering how it eats and breathes and other science facts, just repeat repeat to yourself it's just a show i should really just relax it's that same kind of a don't bother with that aspect don't (laughs) let it get to you it doesn't matter it just doesn't matter he's doing the same thing about this basketball game it's a have a game have fun it just doesn't matter that's great it's a very important lesson to learn it is and it's where so much of the movie turns around for me in terms of how i i think about it because it's one thing to, well, it, it undercuts the apparent stakes. Yeah. And me, it, and if nobody is really caring about this, or at least for the, the five minutes when they're having this conversation, this pep rally, they're choosing to ignore those stakes. But it, it undercuts the stakes. And if you, if you just undercut the apparent stakes, that is nihilism that is not very good storytelling because without stakes there's not an interesting story yeah but what it manages to do is to point out that the stakes are not what you think they are because that last act of the movie that follows is not without stakes 
you still see the kids from Camp North Star wanting to win, wanting to do what they can, wanting to be their best, and occasionally, because it's funny, out-cheating Mohawk. But usually, it's just being better at the sports. Yeah. And... Of course, and this is telegraphed, spoiler, but it's telegraphed early in the movie. Rudy, 12-year-old Rudy, has been joining Tripper on these morning runs every morning because he wants to hang out with Tripper and spend more time with him, and Tripper wants to give him something to focus on. He's gotten to be a good distance runner over the course of the last three, four weeks, whatever it's been. So when, of course, they need one because their usual runner has hurt their leg. In the, the final event, which is a... Five mile race, it's like a cr- or four mile race. Yeah, it's a it's like a four mile race across multiple different things. It's across the roadway. It's through the woods on a marked path. And Tripper nominates Rudy to be their runner because their usual best runner has gotten hurt in a previous sport. And Rudy doesn't want to do it. Nobody else wants to do it. And Tripper convinces Rudy that he really should do it, and convinces the others to give Rudy a chance. And he coaches Rudy to use his strengths. You're small. You're nimble. You can move through the woods far better than the big guy with the long legs that Camp uh, Mohawk has got. And it becomes you know, the, the last act of a sports movie in that way. But the stakes are not save the camp. The stakes are not even preserve the pride of Camp Mohawk, although that's part of it. It's Pru- Rudy proving to himself what he can manage, what he can accomplish. Yeah. And the same, we've seen some of the same from some of the other characters, but it's really focused on Rudy in that, that way. And that's, that balances out the, the nihilism of it just doesn't matter. It's balanced out with, here's what does matter. And what you have learned to accomplish is what matters. One of the, yeah, one of the only moments I can think of that actually kind of throws dramatic stakes in is actually the Tripper and Roxanne romance, which honestly has some very awkward scenes, and I wasn't sure if I wanted them together and everything else. But at the end, when they get together, which you can kind of see coming, they have a serious talk for a moment during this about how they're going to make this work later and what they're going to do. And he's got a place. Does she want to move in? Because they're at a point there, and they've kind of been on and off. And it's kind of this one moment where they don't break character, but their characters break their their camp counselor mode to have this person-to-person talk for a moment. And for a moment, you get two characters talking about something with the longest-running implications and stories and potential ramifications for their lives of anything we've seen in the film. Because everything else is, the camp is fine, and is are you feeling good about having done what you've done and been here? Great. Okay, that's the only moment I can think of where there's, like, future planning concerns anyone ever talks about. It's kind of weird that that's where it shows up, but it's kind of realistic that that's where it shows up. It It is realistic, because I think one of the reasons why we don't get the, the save the camp m- moment is the fact that Everything we're seeing is essentially what happens at this place every year. Yeah. And these people who have been counselors or Morty who's run the camp for years, they, they, they experience the same thing every year. It's a different group of kids or it's the same kids who are, who are growing up 
year by year as they come back to camp and maybe eventually train to be counselors. But this is what the camp is there for. It's not about saving the camp. It's what the camp provides as an experience for the campers. Yeah. And that's why it wouldn't, it would feel too forced if we had the, oh my goodness, this is a unique year in the life of this camp because the camp's in jeopardy. No, the camp is here to do what it does. Despite being pranked and beleaguered and all these things throughout the entire film, during the end, when all the camp counselors start singing this song about being a counselor at this camp, Morty joins in. And he knows all the words, which very much implies, well, yeah, that's part of this. It's... <laughs> It's weird because if it wasn't for that moment, I wouldn't have been always okay. I was so bothered. This movie sparked so many of my sort of sitcom cringe. <laughs> that sympathetic reaction of feeling the frustration and pain and nervousness that certain things can cause that means that I find sitcom misunderstandings and schadenfreude-laden situations just to be curling up. I had so many of those. And then seeing that, like, he kind of knew what he was signing up for <laughs> actually relieved some of that tension in me. Because, yeah, that's what this camp does. That's what happens every time. He knows the song that warns him about it. <laughs> that's gonna be okay, then. He's not He's not an unaware victim. He's a understandably beleaguered volunteer. He knows his role. Yeah. And he's happy to play it. The, the, these kids, they have to have an authority figure both to keep them in line and to rebel against these counselors in training. And Morty, the, the head of the camp, he's, he is that guy. I get the impression sometimes that Morty would be kind of disappointed if there came a summer in which the trip and the CITs did not prank him. Yes. Because something would be missing. Uh, suddenly he goes from being a character who off screen has to figure out, for an example, his way to get down out of the trees. They've bungeed him in his bed and his nightstand up <laughs> in. Suddenly he goes from a character who just off screen has to get down from there, but also a character who, after he's done, how could you, ah, da, 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 da might pause and go, nice overhand knot, though. <laughs> yes. That was a stable bed. Nice job. He'd like, suddenly it shifts that little off-screen moment you can assume because he's aware and he might appreciate, and that's a whole different environment. And about the, the Tripper and Roxanne relationship, you're right about how important that scene between them at the end is. And in watching this movie again, and this is the second time I've seen this. Hadn't seen it since 1979 or 1980. Oh, really? This so, is like a, this is a second watch completely. Right. Okay. I might have seen little bits of it from time to time, but I've never sat down and watched it since the first time. And yet, it it had all I had all these memories of it. It made such a, an impression. But that conversation between Tripper and and Roxanne, it made me realize that. Uh, Kate Lynch was putting a lot of depth into that character of Roxanne with what little she was given to work with. And I had the impression that Roxanne, Roxanne was interested in Trip, and we see that. And she smiles at his jokes and he's kind of, she uh, responds to his charm. And yet she always put him off. And 
I realized or concluded with that final conversation, as interested as she was in Trip, she did not want to follow that anywhere if it was always going to be absolutely nothing but jokes. The one thing she was waiting for and and requiring was the more serious conversation that they had at the end where they really were. He, Trip really was asking her if she wanted to make a life with him. Yeah. And and the importance of that to Trip became evident in the fact that he was stopping and talking. He was still Trip. He was still had some jokes in there, but it was a different kind of conversation. And I think that that's what Roxanne had been waiting for. And finally, Trip provided that. There's a lot of little moments in Bill Murray's performance where we see these quotes coming through where we're seeing him he'll be laughing and joking but he'll pause and he'll do a certain thing accurately and then keep the jokes going mm-hmm. he needs to help someone with something okay does the thing it, it's it's joke does the thing joke on either side of it but he does the thing accurately and when they have that discussion it's implied he's got an apartment he's got a job he reads these books that he's quoting on in his free time. And it kind of turns this character from being this goofball to being this guy who has this goofy sense of humor in his personality. And all we're getting is seeing his summer job where he lets that part loose a little more. It's like, this is part of me. Yeah, you've seen me when I'm letting that off the hook a bit more, because I get to be here where I get to do that, I've got my stuff more together in my day-to-day life, because I have to, to a little. It's not that he's not being the silly, fun person he is, but he's, people assume he is uncoordinated because they see the jokey. Instead of realizing, no, the jokey is just part of him, and he does have this other stuff underneath. (laughs) And that's interesting, because that conversation kind of takes all those little tiny snippets you saw throughout and gives them a new context about this grander image of the person we're seeing only a sliver of. This makes me wonder... Do we ever hear anything about what Trip Harrison does when he's not at Camp North Star? What does he do the rest of the year? We don't know. Huh. We know he he's he knows how to run the radio setup, but it's a pretty simple one. But it's a pretty simple one set very carefully to be simply activated. Yeah. So electrical is possible. I suppose so. He knows a lot of philosophical and a lot of un, like a lot of texts about that sort of thing so there's possibly he's psych he's doing psychology or counseling of a different type Hmm. not sure seems a little farther fetched he's got a lot of odd skills he's kind of this skill monkey type of character in some ways there's a lot of little bits that could be we never quite know what he does outside of here though i don't think this was anybody's intent but it wouldn't be a stretch to say that on the off-season, Trip Harrison goes back to the city and drives a cab. And some years later, he things don't work out between him and Roxanne, things don't work out between him and the next girlfriend, and eventually he bottoms out and joins the army. 
And yeah, it's, it's the same actually character. very possible. It's very it, it's practically because, the same character as in the beginning of Stripes. Because yeah, this is this is just summer camp stripes. Or stripes is just military industrial meatballs. <laughs> actually, that would have just worked as a name. <laughs> Calling it military industrial meatballs could have worked as a title for that other movie. When it comes to titles, why is this called meatballs? I don't know. I have There's yet no to figure clue. that out. I think it's just an inherently funny word. I guess but, there's not even a scene about like them serving spaghetti or anything. There's only one scene I can think of with the closest thing, and that's the the mystery meat joke. Is the closest they come to anything <laughs> I can tie back to that. Yep. It, I don't know why the name is there. Yeah, I think it's just inherently funny and goofy. Yeah. Well... I think we might have, have tipped our hands a bit in discussing this, as usual, but it is a movie, so when it comes to our final questions, the first one is screen or no screen. I'm going to say no screen. If you're anything like me, I mean, there's wonderful bits in this, but this movie just has too many things I found so awkward. Some of the humor had that cringy aspect, and it was... It was not a smooth sit for me as a film. I think that there's great moments, but I'd say go find a compilation of some of those bits. Find, let the internet chop up this movie for you and grab the bites you want. Don't sit through the whole thing and deal with it unless you really want to try to pick it apart and are okay to sit through the things that I don't want to have to sit through again. It's a no screen for me. You know, I have to agree. Uh, I This is a no screen for me as well. I suppose if you are an absolutely fanatical Bill Murray fan and you really want to see his first feature film, his first starring role in a feature film, yeah, I can understand why you would watch it. I'm not going to recommend that anybody take the time to screen this. There are, are better things to do with that time. There are better Bill Murray movies to watch by far. And as you say, Ian, to the extent that there are good bits in this, let somebody who is a fan of the movie find them for you. Find somebody's favorite compilation of, uh, of best clips online. It's not worth sitting down and watching the, the movie itself. So that's a, a no screen from both of us. Mm -hmm. So the next, uh, <laughs> the next question is, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Well, we've got to do the thing we always do, which is if this question has been answered at all by the film industry, we have to acknowledge that before we put our own in here. And that's why I have to terrifyingly tell you that there's three sequels. Three sequels? Three sequels. Is anybody from the first in any of the three sequels? Meatballs Part 2, as it was called, seems <laughs> to have... Absolutely nothing to do with the first film. At all. That was released in 84. Meatballs 3 Summer Job at least has a theoretical continued plot relating back to the first. Was it the return of Rudy? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't have Chris Makepeace. Uh, uh, no. Okay. 
And I'm not happy with reading the plot summary, so look that up on your own if you really want to. And then, terrifyingly enough, Meatballs 4 came out in 1992. Wow. Yeah. And it seems to be a summer camp water skiing vaguely action comedy? Hmm. So none of these make sense. It didn't... It didn't get a sequel as much as it got licensed like a McDonald's to franchisees. <laughs> yeah. So if we're if we're not going to regard any of those as as real worthy sequels, yeah. What do you think? Any does this need a or do you want a, a revival or a reboot? I'm going to suggest something wild. I want a revival in the smallest form possible. Oh, a reference revival? Kind of. What we need is the Camp North Star YouTube account. <laughs> and all it is, is once a week or twice a week or something, it's the morning announcement call with all of its little skit jokes and some stock footage of panning drone shots of a summer camp. You just have... A setup for stand-up comedy joke lines in this structure. You run it on a cycle, and that's all you have to do. It's the best part of the film. Continue it as a channel, and you don't have to make anything else. I cannot top that. Uh, I was all set to say, of course, rest in peace. There's nothing worth rebooting or uh, or reviving for this. But yeah. Camp North Star morning announcements on a YouTube channel or a, I don't know, five minute a day podcast. Exactly. It, <laughs> it's really simple, but it's like, like slice the best piece off of this and just let the internet's <laughs> short form video stylings keep that one bit going because that's the one bit you could just keep milking and nothing else needs to come with. I like it. It, it would be like David Lynch's weather report. Just a weird little thing each morning. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you. The problem is that now I've said it, and I don't think I can do it. <laughs> and I don't want to make you do it, Dad. So this is a call to any listener. If you decide to take me up on this suggestion, let us know. Oh, yes, please. If any of you out there want to make that I will subscribe immediately. <laughs> so that might have been the uh, one of the least contentious set of final questions we've ever had. I think so. It was kind of cut and dry. Well, but um, for all we know, we're going to find a super fan of this who really wants to tell us about how much they loved meatballs. And we'd love to hear from you. Please let us know what you think. Is there some depth that we're missing from this? Where could they find you to tell you about that, Dad? Oh, you can find me most places as by Matthew Porter. That's by Matthew Porter on Twitter. You can go to by MatthewPorter.com, by Matthew Porter on, uh, on YouTube, by MatthewPorter.com. You'll find links to anything I'm doing. Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as Item Crafting. On Twitch as Item Crafting Live and at itemcrafting.com. And you can find the podcast itself at immproject.com. That's where you'll find all of our back uh, episodes. And you'll also find our contact page and our Discord. Uh, we'd love to hear from you there about this movie or any others. Your, what's your favorite summer camp movie? 
You can also find a link there to our YouTube channel, or you can just go to YouTube. We're at uh, IMM Project. And on YouTube, you'll find uh, uh, some videos, including uh, a bonus follow-up to our Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where I introduce Ian to the Close Encounters of the Third Kind Wonder Bread Trading Cards. Ah. <laughs> and there's another video in which Ian confronts the Commodore 64 dungeon crawler, Dungeon. Because I, the spelling bothers me, <laughs> but not as much as how those skeletons were <laughs> i was getting them i found a strategy i hit him in the legs and i almost got there you did pretty well for somebody who hadn't played that game before <laughs> thank you so you can see all of that on uh, the the rise and fall of ian as a dungeon crawler uh on uh, on youtube at uh, imm project and you can also find us on twitter as immpcast so thank you very much for, for listening. Thank you very much for, for downloading this. Uh, best way to support the podcast is just to tell people about it. Let them know. Uh, you can also go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. As many stars as you can if, would be great. And uh, above all, please consider coming back in a couple of weeks where we will have more tales of media from the, the distant time of the 20th century. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.